You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Back in my day, we put the milk <laughs> bottles out for the milkman um, and reuse them as much as possible. Yes, that's my old man voice. You're wow. welcome. <laughs> Megan, I love do, it. do voices all the time. <laughs> Pass the giblets. Anyway. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> welcome to the Legendarium. This is episode 229. We are the Blue Team, and we are going to be continuing our discussion today on the Children of Dune. I know some of you are saying to yourselves, "How many? How many? How many recordings can we do on the Children of Dune?" The reality is, we could probably do three or four more. But I think we would lose the rest of the blue team. It would be me talking to I, myself and trying to answer myself. I was going to say, I think you should clarify that you yeah. could do <laughs> two or three more. We, there is there. Is, well, and some of our redditors probably want me to want to spend some uh, a little bit more time on that. But let's 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 be fair. Uh, we typically have a we we have a history of doing two podcasts for some of these larger books, so we're going to keep ourselves to two podcasts for Children of Dune. Megan and Ken are right now. If it's too bad that we don't have video on this particular podcast right now, because you could see the looks that they are giving me. They are just looking at me like Todd, you're crazy. We will kill you. Um, that that was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> wow. Well, it's because I have prescience, the gift of prescience, and I know exactly where things are going. Anyway, right. um, we're gonna. We're going to dispense. You know who the blue team is. We've got Ken. We've got Megan. We've got myself. And uh, as far as housekeeping, you know, you can reach out to us on Discord. You can reach out to us on Reddit. Uh, find us on email. Find us on Facebook. Um, Legendariumpodcast.com. Twitter, Instagram, all that crap. All of the all of the different ways that you want to reach out to people. You know, by now. Go buy merchandise on our website. And <laughs> Seriously. I just made merchandise. Well, we can, well, we can is, purchase merchandise on our website. Craig says go buy merchandise on our website. Now oh, there is it. Legendarium merch at we heard, the legendariumpodcast.com. We are the, we are the Legendarium Podcast sponsoring ourselves. Um, I, I have never put a bumper sticker on my car until this week. And I, I think a while ago, um, Craig gave me a Legendarium Podcast bumper sticker. And I all of a sudden found it in a drawer and I was like, oh, I'm putting this on my car. Yeah. I'm not very excited. The it Legendarium Podcast so window pretty. stickers are a hit at the high school that my boys go to. My, and, my boy goes to and my uh, boy went to. And I have actually had people walk up to me when I'm in the parking lot and say, I see that's a Legendarium Podcast window decal in your window. And I looked at him and I said, are you kidding me? Seriously? That happened? <laughs> Seriously, wow. that happened. It was pretty cool. That's amazing. Uh, so, and let's be honest, the Legendarium Podcast is not sponsored by the Legendarium Podcast. It is sponsored by you. So yeah. please feel free. Be a, be, uh, you know, go on to Patreon, support us through there, buy some merchandise through that, support us in there. Uh, let us know that you like us and we'll keep doing this because obviously it fits a need. Yeah. Leave a, leave a review on what? iTunes? Yep. Five star review on iTunes? Leave a five star. If you leave a two star, Craig will come get you. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, no. We'll release the sandworms. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> We're going to release sandworms. Let's uh, let's do it. Now, Ken, I don't know. Last time we had last time we kind of had something of a recap. And and there were some people that commented on the freestyle recap. I didn't yeah, know. I know, I know. I it was way better than my freestyle recap. Uh, <laughs> I haven't. I, I didn't bother to ask you before we started recording here today. Do you have a I, recap for I, this one? I did not create a recap because okay. I figured we're in part two. And after listening to last week's episode, I or the last episode, it really was just 
it was so magical I couldn't come up with anything better. <laughs> I mean, let's yeah. be honest here. Oh, wait, if we were being honest, then I could have done much better. Let's, so, let's be delusional here. Let's be delusional I like, here. I like being delusional. I like that a lot. I like All right, that a lot. But we, we do have, I mean, there were things we left off on that we didn't touch on, right? Yeah, there were. Let's let's, let's, re, <laughs> let's remind everybody we uh, 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 about the things that are going on in the Children of Dune. Basically, uh, the, the children have grown, uh, the, the two children, Ganima and Lido, have grown to about nine to ten years. They realize that, uh, and they have prescience, they have the gift of prescience, like their father did, and they have decided that they need to be responsible, more responsible with that gift of prescience than their aunt Aaliyah, uh, who has become possessed by the Baron Harkonnen. She has become abomination. She has become the abomination. Jessica comes in to try and straighten everything out, brings uh, Gurney Halleck along with her. Stilgar is caught in the middle of trying to make everybody happy by being Sweden, uh, by being the Ara the Arakeen version of Sweden. Uh, we have, we have plots within plots. We have the, we have Seleucus Secundus and the Padishah Emperor's family trying to reassert itself, House Carino back onto the throne, blah, blah, blah. Then we eventually, <laughs> I mean, there, yeah. this really is, I, I think we, t I think we talked about last time if the, if the first, if the first Dune book was, was a science fiction epic, mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a kind of a traditional science fiction epic. The second one was was about uh, religion and what happens when religion goes kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. This one is uh, uh, an awful lot about politics and about how uh, a lot of political wrangling can go in and, and all of the things that are involved with uh, with trying to control things over long periods of time. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we left off. We started talking about the fact that Leto uh, became the first person who will be able to live long enough to see thousands of years of genetic manipulation and see where the outcomes go. Right. So having said all of that, if you if you have read the book, then you realize that we left so much out. Uh, we're going to be okay. talking about it. And if you saw, and if you or saw, if you listened to last last time's episode, uh, you know that we left a lot out. So we're going to come back and we're going to talk about all the other things that we wanted to talk about. Ken, you wanted to you wanted to talk about Stilgar. That was one that you were I, talking about a lot. That yeah, I think is definitely we touched on it briefly last time that. This book seems like the be careful what you wish for uh, or uh, you just might get it type book in Dune. Everybody wants water that I mean, obviously it was a barren wasteland where nothing there. There was no water. And so they had unique ways of harvesting water. Paul says we will turn this into a fer fertile ground and we shall thrive as you know, but and, and now we have water and we have life-changing people using water just casually and still yeah, are... the, having having more water turns out really wrecked the society going on there it's like p diddy said mo water mo problems i mean yeah. it just and uh wait you just got a p diddy quote into the midst of our dune podcast it's actually mo money but it doesn't matter <laughs> i i was gonna let it go because nobody <laughs> laughed so. i'm 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 just hopeful we're not going to get sued for copyright infringement for using the names. Eh? Yeah, it's less than twenty seconds. I think we're okay. <laughs> but the the point the point being, everybody was this was the plan was to have have water on Arrakis, and now Stilgar is the old man going back in my day, and this isn't better, and everything is is just ruined, and I miss the days when we had to live underground, and yeah. basically he's seen that the law of unintended consequences is being paid now. It's yeah. 
we lost, you know, millions upon millions in the jihad. We lost uh, a way of life. And I think a lot of it, at least in Stilgarson, it looks like in, in the Fremen that are kind of trying to bring down the, uh, what uh, what's it called the uh, the Muad'Dib religion we'll mm-hmm. call it that the, the 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 Fremen that are trying to bring it back to the way it was a lot of them maybe it just happened faster than they expected yeah. this is this is something that was supposed to take you know hundreds of years a few generations and here we are barely twenty five years later and yeah. now mm-hmm. we've got water and now people are. Uh, water fat and not or not water fat. It's an interesting but, term that they use. They use the term water fat. Is that what? The, yeah, they do use that term. Okay, that's I couldn't remember if I've, but but the point is they they realize they they're seeing their loss of identity. I guess. Yeah. And, and it just happens really quickly. It, it's just it's faster than it, it probably should have happened if they wanted to make it sustainable. Meaning, and we see it a lot of times here. Life moves fast nowadays. You know, yeah. I. I still remember back in my day, there was no iPhone and now you've got your computer in your pocket and everything and and life moves quickly. And I think that's kind of the argument that maybe Frank Herbert was making in Stilgar is that life moves, life changes, maybe not always for the better. Right. And it it just seems like a it's a little bit, I don't want to say toxic, but it's kind of an unhealthy way of going about it because you're talking, you're using this example of technology. And in my mind, I think about weight loss and how they tell you like crash diets. Sure, you can lose 20 pounds in two weeks, but you actually, if you lose it more slowly in a more healthy way, you're more likely to um, actually uh, create habits that will help you to keep that off. And it's more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I think, you know, all of this is happening so quickly that they're killing off the baby sound trout and they're really, they really are just destroying the whole society and the, uh, the whole, un- the, uh, the galaxy, the universe, their, their society basically exists on the spice and they're destroying it. That's, and that's probably yep. the key that, um, that I, that I want to hone in for, on for a second. We're going to come back to, uh, I, I want to come back to the, the way of life, the Fremen way of life, but mm-hmm. in just a moment, but because there's something that I've been thinking about this, this last week, in preparation for for coming into today's recording about that but the 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 spice the, the critical thing that's going on and we'll come back to this again when we start talking more about the golden path is that there are there are two conflicting concerns that involve the paradisific paradisification <laughs> of of uh, sure somebody write that word down see how many syllables it was um, uh the 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 problem with turning arrakis into a paradise is that it eliminates the very thing that is holding society together, which is the spice. Uh, the spice is what makes interstellar travel possible. The spice is what has allowed a stabilization in economies mm-hmm. across multiple planets. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that there aren't other kinds of small rebellions and small wars and all kinds of things going on. There's always going to be those kinds of things. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, it holds the galaxy together <laughs> maybe so maybe so maybe spice is the force um but the but the the thing that apparently was not understood uh or was not reckoned with in the process of the speeding up of the changes was the fact that it was going to change everything about the way that spice worked or there's and there's a there's a contrasting point of view or paul just didn't control it correctly 
Right. Um, and there and doesn't seem to be a conservation plan at all. We're going to, we're going to, and we're probably going to be able to deal, uh, dig into that just a little we bit wanna, more. Yeah. We want to talk about Paul versus Leto a little bit in that, yeah. in that uh, specific case. We'll, I think, we'll, I, I, think we'll, I, I think we've got some opportunity to do so, but before we leave this, this idea, and it, it has a little bit more to do with, I think with Stilgar mm-hmm. um, and with, with some of the things that he struggles with. Um, and it's, for me, it was a, it's a, it's a level two issue. Um, and for those of you who we haven't talked about level one, level two, level three, an mm-hmm. awful lot in this series, but mostly because the books have been uh, predominantly dominated by level two stuff. Yeah. What um, remind us what the levels mean? I was about to. Yeah, Good. level one is level one is the the story itself. How well does the story hang together? Uh, how well does it move us forward? And how much do we enjoy the story in and of itself? Just if it's a, uh, I I won't say the phrase that I normally use, but if I was, most of you were saying it to yourselves. Um, the second level is where we start talking about social ramifications. We start talking about, uh, maybe how we can take the information and use it to inform some of the social, uh, social and political movements that are going on around us at this period of time. And the third level is where we, uh, level three is where we start talking about how does this make us a, how does this help us understand how to be a better human being? How does this inform choices that we might make or decisions that we might make that are, that are about the goodness of humanity about moving forward uh and being a better person um they're they're all slightly different they are all connected um and of course we get into all kinds of conversations about what it means to be a better person and whose val- whose value system blah 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 the 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 question isn't which one would we use the question is whether or not the book isn't helping us engage those kinds of conversations those kinds of discussions mm-hmm. this one is a level two issue um, and I, and I want to raise it specifically around the same kinds of issues that we've talked about before in conjunction with Dune, with Dune and Dune Messiah. And that is our addiction to petroleum and the, un- some of the unintended consequences that have happened as society has become permeated mm-hmm. with all things petroleum based, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to go off. I, I, That's I, what the spice was largely seen as a, a allegory for correct yeah. uh in a lot of in a lot of commentators uh and to some extent frank herbert himself talking about that um but we're seeing it we, we we see a little bit different kind of approach to it and and let me make a case for it um for for something to look at and for something to examine uh and that is the way that things have changed in the middle east um the middle east as a as a location if oil is present there are a small number of people who are absolutely rolling in riches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, just like there is all over the rest of the world, the, the number of people, you know, we talk about the 1%. Um, we talk about, we talk about the, the difference between the haves and the have-nots. I, I understand that. The social, social struggle is always going to be with us. Um, but if we look back at what the, the, the context of, the the people that were living in Saudi in Saudi Arabia in in any of the Middle Eastern areas during the early part of the 1900s everybody was pretty much on an equal footing even the the uh, even the those who were fairly wealthy were not necessarily so dramatically better off than everyone else around them mm-hmm. um, as oil has become the coin of the day. And as petroleum, not just in the form of gasoline or, uh, or diesel or any of the transportation oils, but also as a primary component of just about everything that we have in our lives, from the plastic bags that we use to carry things back and forth, 
to the plastic bags that we use to carry out our trash, um, to the clothing that we wear, wherever it's at, petroleum really is the coin of the day. And a place that has a corner in the market or a significant market of petroleum has benefited inordinately from areas that did not have that benefit. And what we see in the in the changes in the social structures in some of those areas, granted, I'm, I'm a little bit of a neophyte in this area, and there's probably some of our listeners that would be able to give uh, a, a lot more detail to this kind of a process, but the changes there have been dramatic. Um, their, their culture, their, their lifestyle has been impacted by the influx of money from the trade of that piece in a way that probably staggers people who had been around 70 years before. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, and, and, and while that it's very easy to see for what's going on in the Middle East because of that, I think that as we continue our lives, um, all of us get to a point where we look back and we see a change, a shift that we say has made the rest of the population around us, especially the growing population, soft. Um, I look yeah. at my children, bless their hearts. They cannot do math in their heads. Yeah. Um, and and Stilgar seems to be feeling this along with the rest of the Fremen that are of his, uh, many of the Fremen that are of his old guard who have not bought into Aaliyah's religion that are still loyal to, to the vision of Muad'Dib, but, are, but have not bought into the, trend, to the, to the shift in the religion that came about when Aliyah took over, sure. those Fremen are seeing this, this very negative spin mm-hmm. on what's happened in their lives. And they react to it in a very negative manner, which I think is, is typical. We always yeah. resist those kinds of things when we see that we have lost something that we consider to be virtues in spite of the virtues that have come with the modern day. Well, and you think about it and about all of these, you know, disposable quote unquote plastic bags and all of in these plastic products uh, that we're using that are made to be disposable, even though they don't disintegrate, like the plastic, you have to recycle it or else it just like stays in the earth forever and it doesn't deteriorate any, or anything like that. And we're literally trashing the planet. Yeah. And it's it's a similar thing where in Dune they're drinking all the water and they're using all of the um, the other resources that have come up very quickly and mm-hmm. uh, just very much not being mindful about it and not with caring no, what happens to the future because they're so no excited regard, about today. Yeah, with yeah. no regard to what is going to happen to their to the glo- to the to the galactic society uh-huh. because they're losing the spice. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I'm, I, I think for me, that was one of the things that I related to Stilgar on. Maybe part of it's because I'm closer in age to Stilgar than I am to Paul <laughs> or to Leto um, or, or really anybody else. But I, but I watch what goes on with Stilgar and I watch his arc through these last, through these last three books. And I say to myself, here's a man who, here's a man who had a, a, a vision of what was going to happen and that vision turned sour. Mm-hmm. And how does he handle it? He handles it in the only way that he can by saying, I'm pulling myself out of this fight. Y'all can fight around me. I'm done fighting your battles. Well, and it's so hard because he really, he loves all of the people involved. Yeah. He helped raise Aaliyah. He's watched her grow up. He misses Paul and has watched Paul's children grow up. And he very much, he doesn't, I mean, part of it is he doesn't want to pick sides because he loves and cares about these people. Yeah. And it's so hard to choose between. And it's like, I, but I, but this is the cause that, that makes sense to me that I do support this cause, but I don't want to hurt this person's yeah. feelings or go against this person. Cool. That's why 
that's why I relate to Stilgar so well is because mm-hmm. I, I often find myself going, I don't want to have this fight. So yep. you guys can all cram it. I'm going to quietly um, not say anything on Facebook. I'm, yes, I'm going to quite exactly. I'm going to quietly go my own way on Facebook, even though you are all wrong. Now, it's interesting if we if we go back and we look at Frank Herbert's timeline for writing these, he, he was writing the, the original Dune books um, in the early 70s mm-hmm. when uh, when some of these kinds of of outcomes were not even not even discussed, not even contemplated yeah. that there was going to be any kind of problem with these kinds of things. And here's Frank Herbert saying, uh, as Ken said, be careful what you wish for. Be careful as you put all of these things in place and think about the unintended consequences. I I don't know if he was intentionally doing that. I'm sure we could look up some other referenced material to find out. Sure. He's got a speech someplace where he said, damn you all to hell, you blew it up. You know? <laughs> the but he was, classic I, Planet of the Apes moment. From, I haven't read a ton about uh, Frank Herbert and his background, but he was definitely an environmentalist. He was. And, he was. Yeah, he and was. you know, before this, before the plastic boom, I don't know what to call it. Uh, plastic the, revolution. People, that's a good way of putting it. But people <laughs> built things to last. And yes. they, you know, got fancy dishes for their weddings and took good care of them and, like, kept them for forever and, and plastic stuff forks down, were right. not a thing like you yeah. didn't dispose of all of your dishes at the end of the night and uh like these are people who what is it like reduce no reduce reuse reduce, recycle yeah. replace not the one that i was thinking of is um use it up wear well, it out make it do or make it out yes or do that's it out. the one that's the one where, you know, people valued what they had and they didn't necessarily, they weren't buying cheap clothes thinking, oh, well, this is going to fall apart in six months, but then I'll just buy something new and throw this away. And every time I wear through a pair of shoes, I'm like, but the top part of the shoes is still great. Yeah. I just can't bear to throw <laughs> it away. But what else am I going to do with it? Yeah. That's gonna... a society that we've created where we don't necessarily like take good care of the things that we have. We don't buy the more, we, we like to buy things cheap. You could buy a really good expensive pair of shoes that will last you for three years, but that's a lot more money than I generally want to spend. You're, you're saying three years and I'm thinking three decades. Um, can I wear we... my shoes. A... I'm not one of those girls that has a hundred pairs of shoes. <laughs> I wear them a lot. So can we agree then that Stilgar, if we were, if we were talking about this, as far as the kind of families that we're dealing with, Stilgar might be the 1930, the, the grandpa that grew up in the 1930s depression yes. and is looking at everything going on around and saying, you know, you just don't appreciate how good you have it, and you're really being very, very uh, yeah. Because twenty years careless. later, you have the you have all their kids who grew up in the consumer driven. You have to buy things to be, you know, at, okay. to be to support the American dream. Okay, so you're, you're saying he's Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, uh, or my get wife's... off my sand. <laughs> or... <laughs> okay, that's the quote of the day. I'm sure of it. That's the I quote need of the to day. watch that movie. I do. It's, I'm not familiar with it's, it. It's funny. Well, let's move on. Let's. We let's... sound old and grumpy now. That's all. That's, that's Ken and I do, and we probably got reason to. Well, I, it's just Ken's funny. not. Ken's not quite old. He's getting cookie. there. I'm getting there. You're getting there. Um, let's let's talk a little bit then about the prophet. We've been talking about Stilgar. Let's talk mm. about the prophet. So, as you were reading the book, as you were going through the book, at what point did you know that the prophet was Paul? About uh, the, I don't remember how soon he appeared in the book, but. Pretty much immediately, I knew he was Paul because no body, no death, first of all. <laughs> and, and and second of all, when they started saying, well, I should say, when they started saying, could that prophet be our father? I thought, oh, I guess it's not Paul. It's just somebody else. And then 
later when they actually said, oh, no, it really is Paul. I thought that's the unspoilerest spoiler ever, you know? Yeah, it was it was kind of a letdown a little bit to find out that it was Paul. I mean, I really like Paul and I think he's cool. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, you loser. Like, just let somebody else raise your kids. And I'm just going to hang out in the desert with this other random teenager. Right. But at the same time, I mean, that's kind of the way that the Fremen society was. I mean, you walk into the desert and you die. You you don't come back. And even I, I would imagine he wasn't the very first person to ever walk into the desert and die. He there were probably other Fremen that, that survived for a while. You don't come back. That's just the way that Fremen do it. They they go and they stay gone, which is why he went to Jakarut. So the place where the, the place where there where outcast Fremen could go. Right. Yeah. Now, did How do you he... pronounce that? Jackaroot. Okay. I pronounced it with the U on the end, Jackarootu, but is is that what I, I can't remember exactly now in the book. Was he was he drawn there or did he get kidnapped? Did he get captured there? Or did he get So the uh the way the story the I, I'm I'm trying to remember as well. I don't I don't know that we got it clear. I think what winds up happening is he wanders and then he is found and taken to Jakarutu. It seems like the, the Fremen zealots at Jakarutu decide to, you know, force feed him the spice and make him the prophet and, and, and try to drive the the golden path for Fremen society. Is that? I th- Yeah, I think what they're, what they were trying to do, uh, and, and it's, it's not made extremely clear. Um, we only get this as a result of, as a result of Leto turning around and looking at his father and saying, I know what they've done to you. They did the same thing that they did to me. They force fed you spice. They were trying to get you to give their, give their predictions for their benefit. Um, Right. In this case, they were trying to not necessarily get him to start the golden path, but probably it was a much more, uh, a much more profit driven prescient uh, piece that they were looking for. Uh, We never, we never get a real clear version of that. Um, But we do get, we do get some views that he's been not mistreated, um, but, but, uh, but definitely tr- used treated, treated as a tool. Yes. Um, at one point when I, th- I think it's during the conversation that he and Le- that, the uh, that Paul and the, and Leto have where he talks about, yeah, they threw women at me. They forced fed me the spice. I held off as long as I could. Uh, I gave them confusing predictions and I, I, I just tried to make sure that they weren't going to be, uh, that they weren't going to be useful to them. But as soon as Aaliyah, as soon as it was obvious that Aaliyah had lost it, I needed to take action. So was the prophet, did he still have the prescience? Because I thought that he had lost that, but did he somehow regain that? Or was this mostly what he had seen before? Yeah, I, I based on based on my reading of the, uh, of the book, and again, there might be some Redditors out there that are that are reading this much more closely and much more frequently than I have. But as I, as I go through and, and go back and reread it, we recall that Paul loses his absolute prescience mm-hmm. when he finds out that there are two babies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as he comes back in as the prophet, his prescience is back. And I think when we, when we read the text, um, we, we get, we get to a point where Leto is talking about how time moves in waves and that at sometimes you're on the tip of those waves, the top of those waves, and you can see everything. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happened is that time has moved along an area that is familiar to Paul. And in combination with the force feeding of the spice that he got when he was with the, the outcasts of the Jakarut and with in conjunction with the fact that this is now moving along a path that he has already seen, um, his his prescience comes back in a uh, somewhat expanded ability from what it had been before. Okay. Uh, or from what it had been when he lost it. I don't think, I, I, I think it's very clear 
that Paul has shied away from using prescience any farther out than a couple hundred years. Whereas Leto has been learning to use prescience to see forward and back thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what really separates the two of them because, uh, and, and I think that's where we'll, we can talk about with the golden path, but let's, looks like we've got, do we have a question? Well, for, should, should we get into it? Because there, yeah. there's, it seems like the overwhelming discussion from our listeners is, uh, they are, well, are the, the differences between Paul and Leto in terms of doing what is necessary to take the golden path, uh, or, or to make the, the golden path happen. This is one I wanted to ask first though, from Eradandis, Eradandis, I don't know. <laughs> you know done, who you are. You, you you've done a good. You you've are. done a good job with that name. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he wants to discuss. He brings up the the concept of love and humanity in the yeah. first trilogy. Yeah. This is this is his comment. I think it's arguable that Paul's unwillingness to follow the golden path was due to his love for Chani, mm-hmm. which we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the unintended consequences, however, is that he dooms Leto to live the life that Paul should have led. I like the word doom. I think yeah. I think that's a good word. In yeah. in the one particular way, Paul was more like a Harkonnen that any of us are more than, than we probably have brought up before. The Paul put himself over the, his kids or the rest of humanity. So was that selfishness or was that uh, was that humanity in Paul that led to Paul's downfall? And does that make Paul a hero or a villain or just a footnote in history as another failed Kuzat <laughs> So Yeah, I remember reading that. In fact, uh, when that quote came through, it was a redacted Reddit quote. Right. And I looked at it and I went, wow, this is kind of cool. It was a deep, yeah. di- that was a great so, quote. So when I tapped on it, I said to myself, all right, we're going to have some fun with this yep. one. So let's let's get into so that Megan, one. There, there are like four different things in this quote, but it's a, <laughs> it's a great conversation. Megan, I, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. There, there are a lot of things going rolling around in my brain that, you know, sometimes words are not my friend. I I think it's interesting. I, they were raised very differently. Paul was 15 when he came to Arrakis. So mm-hmm. like there was a start. He was not raised, raised a Fremen. Um, and, you know, so he came and he expected a very different life for himself. Yeah. And then you have his son who is born with the Prussians, first of all. Mm-hmm. He is raised as a Fremen. Uh, he's raised by Stilgar, who, you know... Back in my day, we put the milk <laughs> bottles out for the milkman um, and reuse them as much as possible. Yes, that's my old man voice. You're wow. welcome. <laughs> Megan, I love do, it. do voices all the time. <laughs> Pass the giblets. Anyway. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but he, he also... <laughs> oh, okay. I can wait a second. Okay. Awesome. Okay. All right. I'm it looks fine. like you've, you've got yeah. it together for a minute. Um, he also, he was raised as a Fremen, like kind of in the strict Fremen, but he was also raised in the society where people are very used to having water. And also at the time, the telling of this story, he's nine or 10 years old. Mm-hmm. He has not formed any romantic attachments. He definitely Except like- to his sister. Well, he and his sister, it's not necessarily a romantic attachment though. It's just- It's a similarity. It, yeah, yeah, it's a similarity. It's... They- are best friends they're siblings in a way that nobody like i've never had a twin but i hear people who talk about their twins and they just very much have a kinship i i thought Um, by the way this isn't what we were talking about but i think that frank herbert does a really good job of painting that relationship in a non grody to our society way yes i agree so i know that's why it got to the end and like 
and I'm going to marry my sister. And I was like, Ugh. right. But at least, you know, at least he abided by her wish not to have to bear his children. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, your point. But they they grew up in a very different like kind of having they grew up with very different outlooks. And so I think with Paul, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Sure. And I do think it is tragic that Leto had to take this upon himself because Paul was not able to make this sacrifice, was not willing, was not prepared I mean, he did get his eyes burned out, but yeah. um, right. I, I think it's I I think it is a tragedy that Leto had to take it on, but I don't really have negative feelings toward Paul because of the choices that he made. Because he really was doing the best that he could with what he knew to be the world, his world, and what he wanted. Kim, what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's I I really I I think that. Uh, I, I do think that this book in particular, I know, maybe Dune Messiah as well, do a very good job of showing the faults in Paul mm -hmm. and, and showing the humanity and maybe the downfall of knowing everything. Uh, because he's really, when we get him out, get out of Dune, he's set up as he is the savior figure. Yeah. He knows everything. He knows the right thing to do and he's going to save us all. And then we find out in Dune Messiah that it's not as easy to move the pieces around as you might think when you know everything, because the pieces that you're moving around don't know everything. Yeah. Right. And Sometimes, sometimes your vision of what is was perfect and right is not everybody else's version, or, or or vision of it. And I, oftentimes that is the case. Oftentimes, yes. I mean, otherwise, more. Never mind. I'm not gonna, I, yeah. I, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pull a Craig and say you're both wrong. Um, <laughs> but I. But I am going to say, yeah. <laughs> and Megan rolls her eyes at me. Uh, I am going to say that that the the direction that I took with this, and and I've been thinking about this the this last week. Uh, as I've gone back and reviewed a little bit of the of the book again, and I think the difference uh, is not that one has humanity and one does not. Uh, it's not that one prizes humanity and one does not. It's that they see themselves in the course of humanity differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Paul does not have the the one thing that we never hear from Paul in uh, in detail uh, is about his access to earlier lives. We get it briefly yeah. in Dune Messiah when he starts talking about Hitler and, and Genghis Khan, and, Genghis Khan yeah, sure. and about how many lives they cost humanity mm -hmm. in their efforts to make a better life, to make a better world. Mm -hmm. And at Paul's uh, desire to, to not be responsible for the, for the loss of so many lives in order to try and make society better. Um, the, the thing that we hear early and frequently from Leto is that he is accessing and has access to hundreds of thousands of years of history mm -hmm. and that he is reliving all of the experiences of those individuals on, on lots of levels. Uh, he talks about Agamemnon and I'm, I'm not sure. I, one of the questions that I'm hoping to ask uh, a, a friend of mine in, uh, or a, a friend of a friend of mine uh, in the near future is whether or not that Agamemnon is the Agamemnon of the Butlerian Jihad or the Agamemnon of the ancient Grecian uh, stories. Sure. Um, but regardless, um, the idea that somehow he has access to hundreds or thousands of generations of individual lifetimes, their memories, their experiences, their thoughts, 
their hopes, their dreams, their mm-hmm. aspirations, their their very very specific experiences. We and and that Ganima has the same ability. We hear we hear Ganima talking one point that she remembers her father, mm-hmm. uh, or no, her grandfather and her mother, and sees in Leto and in herself images of those mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. And sees how easy. Uh, there, so there's a couple of creepy moments with that, right? Um, but this is Leto's vision of humanity. He is seeing humanity through a lens that allows him to see what happens when we don't have a golden path. The thousands of years of bloodshed and history and and being trapped before we can move forward. Yeah, the those who don't of, know history are doomed to repeat it. The thousands of Thank years you. of history in the establishing of this galactic this galactic empire that spans. Um, distances that can only be traveled by the spice. And he also apparently has access to all of the visions of the future of how things can go if certain actions are taken. Mm-hmm. Paul's view of this is much more truncated. And so as a result, I think what we have in Paul is an individual who sees not the full scope of humanity, but he sees humanity in the near, in the near perspectives. Sure. He sees, and, and what he's, and what Paul was always trying to do was minimize the loss of life. Leto becomes aware that it's not about individual life, it's about civilization. And it changes him and allows him to do one thing that he was, that Paul was never able to do. And that is to become the individual that can guide civilization, not turn it into somebody else's hands, but to guide civilization for thousands of years, but the only way that you can do that is by giving up the very thing that made you able to see it all and appreciate it all in the mm-hmm. first place, which is that humanity. Here's if that's it, so. In, well, in answer to that question, yeah. do we feel like this makes Paul a horrible human being? All these kinds of things. I th- I think what we're looking at is what happens when you have limited knowledge, limited choice, limited information, and you do the best you can as compared to when you have much more expanded information, much more expanded knowledge in the same way that uh, if you, if any of our listeners out there have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can see your kids doing things and you say to yourself, this is going to go badly for you, but it's not because I'm, you know, super, super brilliant. It's because I've lived more and I know I can predict with, with fair certainty about how these kinds of things are going. Um, In the same way, I think Leto as the child in this case really has that because he has access to that unlimited history this this might be my um my my innate desire to see the to the optimistic path in everybody but i i don't necessarily think that it's a limited scope of uh of knowledge from paul i think it, it maybe giving him the benefit of the doubt and this is a question we got on reddit also or, or it, it uh, parallels with that is is maybe paul just knew that it wasn't for him to take that path inverted cross he mentions this on i I always just assume he i don't know why but because uh, you're sexist because i'm because you're sexist let's just admit it (laughs) did you like that was that was that a little bit was that a little bit acrimonious (laughs) did i do a good job with that one you did i can't explain why i find that so funny okay (laughs) sexism is funny you heard it from megan <laughs> oh wow, that's good. All that's right. good. It's funny from you guys because I don't consider either of you sexist. But go ahead. <laughs> All right. So inverted cross says, I would love to hear a discussion about the motives behind Leto's decision to go through with the golden path and why Paul refused to do it. And I think that for me, it, it may be. I, I haven't seen this anywhere, but possibly 
maybe Paul just knew that that if he goes through that path, something bad happens and that it has to be Leto that goes through with it. Maybe he just knows that. Maybe. Well, and it's possible that part of part of why it's a good idea for Leto to be the one is because he does have the twin sister to help carry on the genes. Whereas um, with Paul's situation, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like sure. he, he had a sister, but she didn't have the strength to be she, able to do what and he, she had he a done. hard she life well and anyway. she was she was put up as her own version of you know a goddess mm-hmm. and so they you know they're both worshipped in very different ways by very different spears 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 um <laughs> that's hey let's go ahead can can we while we're while we're right here can we talk about the differences between uh Leto and Ganema and Paul and Aaliyah in terms of their relationships, because I mean, there is there anything similar there? I mean, other than they both had, they all had prescience. So yeah, but, I, I guess I guess when I look at it, the, the the big difference though is that you've got you've got twins. Yeah, um, I have as a person who has twins. I you have know. twins. Um, I will never forget. Uh, I, it, this is this is one of those moments that's kind of interesting. I will never forget. Uh, my wife and I sitting downstairs one day, the, the twins were, I think, uh, somewhere between 18 months and two years old. Uh, and, and we incidentally had a, uh, another child, an older, chi- uh, a daughter that was just older. She was almost two when the twins were born. Uh, we were downstairs, we were having a quiet moment talking to each other and, and you know, just kind of enjoying a, a few minutes to watch TV. And then both of us realized, oh, wait a minute, it's quiet. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and immediately the lights flickered. Zzzt. And I go, I, I stand up and I start walking toward the stairs. And as I look up the stairs, I see one child's head poking over the stairs and it immediately disappears. <laughs> and as I go walking up the stairs, I see all three of them sitting around a, an outlet with a knife in the middle of them. And the outlet is blackened. Oh, man. One of them has big eyes and the other two are kind of have this look on their faces like, oh, no, what happened? This oh, knife no. just flew out of the middle of nowhere and stabbed itself into the outlet. And I'm, and I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, this is what my life is going to be like for the next 20 years as I'm yeah. bailing these kids out. And uh-huh. But here's the, th- here's the deal. I watched those twins and multiple times from the time that they were, from the time that they were born all the way up until now, they look out for each other like no one's business. Yeah. yeah. But the younger kids that have come along later, do not have the same benefit. They're not treated the same. Uh, in fact, one of the older one of the older twins, he's only got maybe two days that he can be with the younger kids, and then he's done. He's like, I need to get away from all of you. Okay. <laughs> um, and and but not so with his brother. With his brother, they 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 have a they have a different bond. And so I think the biggest difference that we see, at least that I saw as I was reading through, is that Paul and Aaliyah are are totally different creatures. They're competitors. They, they in, in many all ways, the time. In many ways, they were, and they were pitted to be that way yeah. because of the way that the, the Fremen society worked and because of the way that the political society worked. Whereas Ganema and Leto were young enough that before they could be used as tools against each other, they made their own rules and they took over the system and said, and we will do this. We already have, we've decided how we're going to make it work. And this plan will allow us to be successful 
and never fall victim to everybody else's machinations. Yeah, they're very much a team. They they're very much. There we um, go. I knew that was coming. As soon as I said it. What? What just happened? Hey, machinations. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're very much a team, yet. though. They oh. and they're not swayed by the people on the outside. And Paul and Aaliyah are very much shaped by the people around them, including Lady Jessica. Including Lady. Well, yes. And part of it is Aaliyah is shaped by Lady Jessica just piecing out. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I, th I think Frank Herbert has gone into to great lengths to show that uh, mm -hmm. and to try and portray that and make uh, make Aaliyah a little bit more um, uh, sympathetic character as a result of that. Yeah. You abandoned I, me, mom, you big dumb jerk. Well, yeah, we don't, it's, we don't it's just that, that well. because I, it's, in a lot of ways, all four of these children do feel like orphans where um, Ganima and Leto absolutely are. But Aaliyah never knows her dad. Nope. Never able to grow up with her father. Mm -hmm. and, and because of and because she's so overwhelming to her mother with her mm -hmm. prescience, she mm -hmm. really doesn't have that kind of thing. And, and Paul uh, is uh, they uh, Frank Herbert makes a, a very strong case in the in the first book. Paul didn't spend near as much time with his father or his mother. They were he was tutored to be a yeah. warrior duke. Uh, and right. and it, it that is one of the things that all of these people do have in common is that they're very much isolated socially. Do we get a feeling then from this book that what we're dealing with are caricatures of people in political power rather than real people who are put into positions of political power? Possibly could be the, the reason I'm trying that. to I'm trying to go back through my 1960s and 70s history and figure out who's who, though. Well, I, and maybe they're not exact allegories, but but certainly caricatures from a standpoint of these are people who have been born and raised and basically told because they because they exist in a situation where power is handed down. You will be in power. Mm -hmm. You will have to do these things. You are you are required. You're being raised in this way where yeah. where they are a chess piece at the time of birth being moved around in that way. We might argue that the only one that shows any amount of individual self-determination is Leto. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, Leto is the only one that looks at everything and says, instead of accepting what all of you have given me, I'm making a completely different choice and going left and watch what happens to the world that you all have tried to carefully construct around me. That's true. Cause everybody yeah. else seems to embrace the roles that are put upon them. And Leto sees that that's not actually the best thing for society. And that, you know, the changes that Paul and Aaliyah made are actually ruining the society and he needs to course correct it. And, and here comes back to that, to that view, to that vision. Paul knows, Paul knew that whenever, whatever action he took to try and, to, to try and control this mm -hmm. was going to result in unintended consequences, but he didn't know how to straighten them out. Um, and the reason that he didn't know how to straighten him out is because he didn't know how to control thousands of years of human history himself. Mm -hmm. Right. But Leto does. And he does so by becoming Sand, Sand Trout, Trout Man. Man. So are we are we at a place <laughs> where we can make a segue over to that and talk about that just a little bit? Let's do it. And then we can talk about what's uh, what's coming. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I, and I, and I realize there are a lot of people probably out there start, still wanting us to talk more about the prophet and his role. Uh, maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get some chance. Maybe, maybe as we talk about Sand Trout Man, because we do get a, a moment where Sand Trout Man and the prophet meet each other. And notice I'm talking about them as Sand Trout Man and the prophet, not as Lita and Paul. Right. Because right. at the point that they meet, they are no longer father and son. They're not even really human beings. They are representations of two political 
drives of, of two political uh, ideologies, ideologies yeah. that come face to face and they have to they have to somehow uh, come to a place where they can where they can reconcile each other. So Sandtrout man, um, were you grossed out by what was being described and presented? really understand what was going on until it was done and then i went wait what i don't yeah it was what? it was weird at first like okay he's he's swimming with the fishes and then now, he's like holding it and all of a sudden he's been uh, he's swallowed being by infused, slime and, yeah infused by sand trout slime and and he's drinking the liquid what i'm like this is weird and then i i i guess it makes sense suspend you know reality because it's science fiction but i guess it makes sense in the sense that it's because you ask yourself okay well if he can get superpowers by infusing with the sand trout why didn't other people do this you know yeah it, it, it has to be a perfect storm of here's a quizats hotterack type who's been infused with enough spice who has the prescience who uh, has taken this step to actually, you know, be infused with enough sand trout residue. Yeah. For lack of I, a better term. So I, it, it feels like it's very the idea a, hasn't even occurred to anybody else. Right. It's got to be like a perfect storm type thing that, that basically only Leto could do it. Only Leto can. Well, Paul could have. Paul could have. Paul could have. But Paul didn't see thousands of years. I'm, I'm, I'm still working from my contention. Right. Paul saw hundreds of years. Right. And Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't see the, uh, it, it appears that Paul doesn't see that the value of thousands of, because he also recognizes that taking that role, becoming the Kwisatz Haderach also means a destruction of certain aspects of life and of certain aspects of the society and civilization. We'll see that because Leto acknowledges that mm -hmm. and Leto acknowledges that you will have peace, but you will hate me for it. Right. Remember? Mm-hmm. He's also so so there are certain aspects of of civilization and and we see this in all kinds of situations where where we get what we want law of unintended consequences if you can we get what we want but it wasn't exactly what we thought it would be Leto looks at it and says you know what if we are going if if humanity is going to take the next evolutionary step that it needs to take I have to be the one to make sure it takes it correctly sure and by becoming a worm. And the only way I can do that is by being able to oversee the experiment personally. The, the Bene Gesserit tried. Mm -hmm. And in the doing so, they lost sight of this entire process because they could not, they, they thought that the taking of the water of life and being able to provide each other with, with centuries of experience and understanding and all of those kinds of things would be enough. And it was not. They lost control. They lost control of their own breeding program somewhere along the line because they didn't anticipate free will. Right. Which was Jessica. Jessica enters into the because remember Jessica yep. was ordered give birth right. to a to a daughter so Only that we can girls. heal the line. Mm -hmm. uh, and she and, says, "Hey, nope." Yeah, and she says, "No, Lita wants a boy." And so free will gets in the middle of screwing up everything. Yeah. Well, free will on the part of um, Lito. So I guess Lito's the Lito isn't the only one that has free will in this situation. Jessica doesn't play her part exactly perfect. Um, so I stand corrected. Um, Lito though makes the choice and says, fine, if this is what it needs to be, the, 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 the fascinating thing that I have is that he says they, and, and Frank Herbert gives the talks about, as he talks about it, he talks about, uh, the children, the children, Fremen children played a game where they would allow the sand trout to crawl around their hands and then 
before it would go too far, they would kill the sand trout and peel it off. Right. And then they would suck the insides of it out as a sweet, as a sweet, tasty treat. Sure. <laughs> okay. No. Um, kind of the same way, you know, and I, I, I kind of saw it in the same way that I used to pull honeysuckles off of trees and you pull the honeysuckle oh, sure. out and yeah. you suck down yeah. the honeysuckle and you get a little nectar and you turn it into a bee, right? Um, in this case, he <laughs> I hate sucks, it when that happens. You, you suck out enough of that nectar, you become a sand <laughs> trout. Um, and not just a sand trout covered with an armor of sand trout. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he starts to reference that he is making a transformation, not into just a sand trout, but into the last real worm. Shilud. Which is crazy. Cause then he doesn't have to worry anymore about Arrakis being, you know, ruined quote unquote with water and greenery because... Or does he? But at the well, same time, he? I thought he said that he was just, you know, when the time comes and it was time for him to die, like he was just going to explode into a whole bunch of tiny sand trouts again and repopulate the Maybe? sand trouts. Boy, are you going to love God Emperor of Dune? I don't know. He's. I want that to be true. <laughs> Can I like one of these books again, please? <laughs> you liked Dune, didn't you? I, I liked the first one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I just loaned it to a friend. By the by, the way, Aradandis, we're going to go with that, sure, says that uh, he's very interested in hearing Megan's thoughts about Dune after she gets done with God Emperor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I'll have thoughts. God I'm Emperor. sure you'll have thoughts. I, I, I got I to gotta be honest. You get to, I, 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 said, I said this last time, getting to the end of, of Children of Dune, I was kind of like, are you kidding me? Getting to the end of God Emperor of Dune, I was like, whoa, dude, it's going to be cool. I'm uh, interested to see what happens with God Emperor because it, it takes place hundreds of years in the future. Yes. I, I know that much. Um, and he's he's basically set it up so that people will hate him, and which I think he didn't really need to set it up deliberately that way because anybody who leads for hundreds of years will naturally have dissenters. Always. Yeah. Uh, it's just that's going to happen. And if, if you we, don't, you're not doing it right. And, and we don't have we don't have a leader who's led for hundreds of years, but we've had dynasties that have led for hundreds of years. And we've had, uh, you know, families hey, who have led for hundreds of years. We and have, they, they we have political there. parties that lead for 10 years and we get upset with them. Oh, yep. my gosh. We're already. I, never so mind. we're not going to go. We, there. What, yeah, you're right. He's, he's also said that, I mean, as as Arrakis becomes more fertile, it's going to lose its sandworm population. So he's basically taking control of. The breeding programs, he's taking control of the Galic, the galactic government. He's taking control of the spice, mm-hmm. um, all of the, all means and productions and stores of the spice. He's that's going to be him, and so basically he he is exerting absolute dominance over the galaxy, and I just can't see that going well. So let's talk about let's talk about why he's doing it though, and that's the golden path. We've kind of alluded to it a couple of different times, right? Right. Um, what we are looking at in um, in in this process is a is a movement to a place where humanity can make its next great evolutionary move. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it is at at this point in time we are completely unclear as to what that next great evolutionary move needs to be. But it is not about an individual person. It is not even about groups of people. It is about all of humanity making some kind of a move. And it requires thousands of years of peace under a benevolent but absolute dictatorial leader Mm -hmm. who is not only political but also religiously the same 
the, the same, the, one of the, one and the same combining religion and politics, which we've already learned from Dune Messiah and children of Dune is a bad idea because that was part yeah. of what Jessica was right. coming in to, to tell Aaliyah was that they needed to divorce the, and what she tried to say to Paul in several letters that we got at the end of Dune Messiah, mm -hmm. you can't have the priesthood and the politics together. And here comes Leto saying, yes, oh, I me. can. Um, It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting uh, you guys getting a chance to read this. However, uh, it's, it's going to be a little while. I, it'll be interesting also to see um, a, basically a brand new cast of characters, too. Because other than Leto, yeah. everybody's going to be dead except for Duncan Idaho. I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> uh, did he, he keeps, die in this one? Yeah, he did. But I still, I, I maintain he keeps coming back. So it's there's that's going to be Duncan. That's a good Idaho. point. I know. Be I'm, I'm a little Idaho bit forever. sad that we're getting rid of all the but all everybody's going to be dead. That we know everybody's gone. I wish you guys yeah. could see my smile that I'm just grinning at these guys with. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, you know. Just wait, I know. I just wait until book four. He's he's written some really strong. <laughs> he's just written really strong characters that I like a lot, and I. You know, I really like Lady Jessica and I really yeah. like, well, I thought Aaliyah was super interesting. And Well, and we just got Gurney Halleck back and he's going to be gone. And, you know, we don't get to see what yeah. happens with uh, Faradin. What they what do they call him? Faradin. 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 But what did they change his uh, name to? Farouk Al... I don't have an opinion. I don't know. I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't know. The but consort of Ganima. Yeah. Everybody's going to be gone. So, the except historian. I, I expect, yeah, he's the historian, but I expect that in the course of God Emperor of Dune, we will find the person who is destined to lead humanity past Leto. Okay. Into the next phase. Into, of... the, into the next three books. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Any yeah. predictions, so. Megan? No. Okay. Well, I, I just I, I just want to go on record as saying that I am really looking forward to our discussions on God Emperor of Dune because I think you guys are going to be very pleased uh, with some things that happen, and I think you're also going to be very uh, vocally frustrated with other things that happen, and I'm just really looking forward to wow. it. Wow. Uh, you're going to yeah. like some okay. things, and you're going to hate some things. Thanks. So like any other book. Thanks I'm, there, I'm, Todd. I'm trying to be honest. Or political uh, conversation. And trying to be a little bit yeah. balanced. My my book is coming. I ordered it on Amazon. It's coming next week. So I got mine. Some Memorial Day reading. I, I, I will say that I think that uh, as you guys do this, though, I, as, as you guys work through this one, I think that, that some of the pieces that you've struggled with, that you both have issue, uh, expressed some struggling with as far as the, the heavy, heavy, heavy political pieces, mm -hmm. um, I think you will find this next book is, while that is still in evidence, uh, the story moves a little bit differently. And so it becomes a little easier to work through. Hmm. So sure. I hope, I hope that, I hope that you've gotten a feel for, and maybe it's just because you'll have a, a feel for his style now yeah. and you'll understand how these things are going. Sure. Uh, but, but certainly there's going to be, there is some punch in. Uh, <laughs> there's, in fact, there's, there's, there's a couple of really interesting punch and scenes. Uh, so it's not we'll all internal in people's heads. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do some of that, but not as much as we did in this book. That's Hooray! for sure. I want to see how a worm fights, I guess. I don't... <laughs> so, uh, I guess that, that kind of concludes our, our conference. <laughs> wow. That concludes yep, I'm a, done. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't go any further with that one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Uh, again. Oh, go what, ahead. What's coming up? 
Oh, so uh, 229. We're at, we're in episode 229. Um, we have, is Good Omens coming out before? Good Omens came Good out. Good Omens came out last yeah. one. And we're recording these kind of in a, in a, in a. Out of order. Kind of order, out of order set situation. But, but for us, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Ken wants to throw another Dresden Files in the middle. Yeah. And I have to admit. Oh, is that what we're doing next? Okay. I, I would love I, it I, if I have we to did. Ad, I have to admit, I kind of want to as well. Yay! So I think it's Death Mask, Death yes? Masks. Okay. Book so five. We're going to do book five, um, which gives plenty of time for those of you that, I mean, again, uh, while while I, I, I say this, I, I say that the Dresden Files are a palate cleanser. That doesn't That is not to indicate that I don't find them valuable by themselves mm -hmm. and that I don't find them interesting. I find them tremendously interesting but they do allow us an opportunity to come up from some of the deep, 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 heavy stuff, um, have a little bit more fun, a little bit more of a self-contained story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although this is becoming a really big, big, big story. Sure. But it's the difference is it's a serialized yeah. series. Each book is... They're self-contained enough. Yeah, it, it ends. Yeah. And you can just stop there for a little bit, catch your breath, and then... You know. because, yeah. I, because I have to tell you, uh, my new battle cry is, I don't believe in fairies. <laughs> <laughs> I have shared that with I have shared Yay. that with my entire family, and we have all had the same reaction of going, yeah. <laughs> by the By the way, Craig and I were down at Jordan Con last month. You heard the episode, I'm sure, mm -hmm. and they had their costume parade, and one of the guys in the costume parade dressed up as Lord Generous Toot Toot, complete. <laughs> Complete with giant box cutter. It was the That's best. That's fantastic. Oh, it was the best. So, so much fun. Anyway, uh, so I think we have Night Angel 3 Part 2 in between, but we're Death Mask's probably going to be our blue team's next one. Hopefully you've, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the way that we've in integrated the Dresden Files uh, into what we've been doing. The, the urban fantasy has certainly been enjoyable for us. Hopefully it's enjoyable for you too. Uh, we'll do Dresden Files, and then we'll come back to two episodes, at least two episodes, of God Emperor of Dune. We may do two episodes of God Emperor of Dune and then one that's a recap of the entire Dune story, uh, pulling pulling all of the threads together and saying what we loved, what we didn't love, how we recommend it and those kinds of things. So uh, we're not done with Frank Herbert by any stretch of the imagination, but we are going to we're gonna take just a short break and, and go back to the Dresden Files a Step little bit. Step into Butcher World. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Glad to have you with us. As I said before, I don't believe in fairies! But I do. You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. <laughs> you said more commercial.